The question I want to put to you today is what does it mean to be free, truly free? There's a story told of a famous escape artist years ago who would travel around the country showing his talents and making a name for himself. He would issue a challenge wherever he went that he would allow himself to be handcuffed and locked inside a jail cell and he would find a way to escape. He bragged that there was no jail cell that could ever hold him fast. Well, he went about from place to place, and nearly every place he went, they took him up on that challenge. A local prison warden or chief of police would lock him up, would put handcuffs upon his hands, and see if he could make good on his promise. And amazingly enough, time after time, he was able to do just that. But one time, something went wrong, terribly wrong. The escape artist entered the jail cell as usual and had the handcuffs placed upon his wrists and then the heavy door was clanged shut. And then everybody disappeared and it was up for him to escape in some way. Well, he took from the lining of his belt a piece of metal that was thin and strong and flexible and he used that to quickly pick the lock on the handcuffs. Then he went to work on the door of the cell. As he worked, he discovered something unusual about this particular lock. It didn't seem to open like all the other ones he'd done before. When he normally only took a few minutes to get free, he was busy working on this lock, and it just didn't seem to open. And time went by, and he was no closer to success. It was an hour, and then an hour and a half, and still the door was not open. By now, he was bathed in sweat, his jacket long since removed and laying on the bed. His frustration upon his face was clear. After two full hours, he collapsed. He gave up, admitting failure, and leaned his body against the door that would not unlock. And then, guess what? That door swung open. You see, it had never been locked in the first place. All he had to do was push it open, and that's why he found it so hard to unlock the lock. It turns out it wasn't necessarily the lock itself that held him fast, but his assumptions about his situation. Now, friends, if there's one virtue, one quality of life around which we can all join hands, I think it might be freedom. We Americans might disagree on lots of things, on taxes and national defense, on whether the pizza is better at Domino's or Little Caesars or Pizza Hut. But one thing we can all agree upon is freedom is good. I remember what it was like to get my driver's license. Boy, that was freedom. I could go wherever I wanted. I could do the things that I wanted to do, and I didn't have to depend on mom and dad, at least until I learned that I'd have to be paying for the gasoline. There was the freedom that comes with graduation, and some of the young people here in our congregation have experienced that recently or looking forward to it. That day when the last exam has been done and graduation arrives and you realize you never have to go through that experience again. Freedom, right? Then there's also the freedom that comes to parents when the last child leaves the nest. The freedom that comes in retirement as you are free to plan your day as you choose. No commute to work, no more employer to report to. The list of our freedoms or our hope for freedoms goes on and on. 
I suppose of all the periods of history and all the nations that have ever been, you and I enjoy a sort of freedom that is unprecedented. We are given space to pursue nearly anything we want for as long as we choose, as long as we don't bump into too many people in the process. We have a vast supermarket of choices before us. But you know what? Freedom is a funny thing. There's always a flip side to freedom. Along with the exercise of freedom, there also comes a certain responsibility and cost as well. Think of the movie stars or professional athletes who possess great wealth and fame. With their money, they have the freedom to do lots of things the rest of us can only imagine. They can go virtually anywhere they desire, buy what they want, except perhaps a quiet evening of uninterrupted time with friends in a restaurant. That might be too much for a famous or wealthy person to have. For the famous, every nook and cranny in their lives becomes fodder for public consumption. Perhaps that's why so many celebrities who seem to have it all, looks, fame, money, what have you, they end up looking for escape through drugs or alcohol or sexual promiscuity. That which would seem to have brought them great freedom may actually have become a sort of prison all to itself. I suppose... Some of us are like the escape artist who is convinced he was locked up inside a jail only to discover he was truly free, except in our case, we may think of ourselves as truly free, only to find upon further consideration we are anything but. Today's lesson from the book of Acts tells a story, a rich story, about people who were in bondage and some who were free. Paul and Silas were going to church one day, and they were accosted by a slave girl. Because this girl could tell people's fortunes, her owners made lots of money, hiring out to read palms and provide entertainment at business conventions. She was possessed by a demon, mentally unbalanced, we might say today, and the slave owners profited from her ailment. Here's a picture of enslavement, a woman who is not only a slave, literally owned by others, but she's also held captive by a spirit, a a demon. She's not free to make her own decisions, to chart her course in life. She is possessed by a demon and possessed by property owners as well. There are many ways that people can be enslaved even in our own day. If you have ever suffered through the torment of mental illness, if someone you love is in the grip of schizophrenia or clinical depression, if you or someone you know suffers from addiction, you could tell a thing or two about bondage. Such things can take us over. They can have power over us. They can be a dark, uncontrollable force that we are powerless to break. Well, back to this story from the book of Acts. When Paul and Silas came to that particular town, this slave girl started following them around. And not only that, she began shouting out loud, saying all sorts of things about them. And Paul had enough of this young woman's ranting and raving. And so he turned, and in the name of Jesus Christ, he set her free from that unclean spirit. She was finally set free. Thank God. But not entirely. She was still a slave. 
not a person, but rather considered a piece of property owned and to be cared for according to someone else. Could there be a more vivid image of human bondage than the practice of human slavery? Luke writes, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the city magistrates. They saw this woman as nothing more than a hope of gain, an opportunity to make money. And they became angry to see their source of income taken from them. They grabbed hold of Paul and Silas and dragged them to the local chamber of commerce in the mayor's office to complain. They demanded that the officials of that town do something. Now, were they interested in this woman's freedom and being set free from her ailment? No, not a bit. They only took action when they no longer could take profit from her misery. Here was a one young woman In bondage to the hell of mental illness, she was a slave, a source of profit and money for others who saw her more as a living ATM machine than a child of God. And now that this woman is finally free, no longer possessed by a demon, there ought to be rejoicing. There ought to be some celebration, but no, her owners are not free to do that. They were upset. They were Concerned that they were no longer going to be able to profit from her ailment. And so the owners say, oh, we're not against a little religion as long as it's kept in its place. But you know, these outsiders, this Paul and Silas, they're disturbing our city. They are threatening our laws. They are doing things that are not proper. Something has to be done. And they get the crowd to fall in line behind them. And they began to attack and beat Paul and Silas. And they grabbed hold of them and put them in chains. And they're taken to the town prison and thrown into a cell. The liberators, the one who set this slave girl free, now becomes in prison, literally. Those who helped to set this woman free now have chains about themselves. But you know, the story isn't over quite yet. The story goes on to say that about midnight that day, Paul and Silas were busy praying and singing hymns to God along with the prisoners that were there as well. Just think of that. The men who are in chains, legs locked in stocks, are singing and giving thanks and praying to God, having a revival service right there in the jail. Then we go on to hear that suddenly the earth heaves, the prison shakes, and the door to those cells fly wide open, and everybody's chains fall off. Now, the jailer wakes and sees that the prison doors are not shut the way they're supposed to be, and he immediately assumes the worst, knowing what happens to jailers who fail in their charge, who allow the prisoners to escape, he figures he's in for some big trouble. So he does the only thing he thinks he's left to do, the honorable thing. He takes out his sword and is prepared to take his own life as someone who has failed the state and his honor. Now, notice that the one person who has the keys to unlock the prison is now a prisoner himself. He's not free. He's enslaved by his own fear of failure and enslaved to his sense of honor and what is coming to him. And he's going to, this leads him to take his own life. Now, fortunately, before that could happen, Paul steps in. Paul yells out, don't do it. We're just singing. We're still here. And the jailer could not believe his ears. But wait, you were bound in chains, and now you're free to escape. Why are you still here? 
To which Paul replies, no, we prisoners were free to stay and you, our jailer, are chained to your sword and to your sense of honor. But now you can be the one who knows what it is to truly be free. And in that moment, the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have such freedom? And Paul The great evangelist, never one to miss an opportunity, told the message of Jesus Christ right then and there. Jesus can set you free. Believe in Christ. Receive the gospel and have new life in him. And by the end of the night, not only the jailer, but his whole household received the gospel. They put their faith in Jesus Christ and they were all baptized. That night they learned what it means to truly be free. So let's go back to that question that I started with. What does it mean to be free, truly free? By the end of Luke's story, everybody who first appeared to be free, the slave owner, the town officials, the jailer, turns out that they actually were the ones in bondage. Although you may not see their chains, they were anything but free. And everybody at the beginning of the story who seemed to be enslaved, the slave woman, and then a little later on, Paul and Silas, in the end, they are the ones who show us what it means to truly be free. Jesus does that sort of thing. He turns our expectations around. He flips our usual ways of understanding. He challenges us to see in new ways, and more importantly, to live in God's ways. So where do we find ourselves in this story? Are we like those just recently set free? Or maybe we're more like those who think that they are free but are actually held captive. Maybe in some less obvious but more insidious way. We may, for example, think of ourselves as free, but at the same time, we're terribly lonely. We're isolated. We're cut off from one another. That's not what it means to be free. Some of us are imprisoned by our fears, by a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. That's not what it means to be free. Some of us are constrained by the ways that others have taught us to see ourselves, and we've listened too much to the voices that say we can never be good enough, never be smart enough, never be worthy enough. And so we're trapped in an endless loop of disappointment and defeat. That's not what it means to be free. Others of us are held captive by our attitudes, our judgments, by old animosities and ancient injuries that we continue to carry around with us wherever we go, and we never feel the need to put down. That's not what it means to be free. We can be chained by our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups that cling so tightly to us and keep us from facing the world with courage and hope. I'll tell you what, when the jailer fell on his knees before Paul and Silas, there in the tumble-down, earthquake-shattered prison, he asked a question that made a lot of sense. What must I do to be saved? Which I suppose is another way of asking, what must I do to be free from those things that hold me captive? What would it be like to truly be free? Maybe we come with that same question today. For deep down inside each of us, we're struggling to be free, truly free. Therefore, my beloved, hear these words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. You shall be free. 
Jesus enters into our imprisonment and takes on those things that have held us captive too long. He takes them all upon himself, and then by him we are set free. Thanks be to God.